From the Wayne Sumner Studio. My recommendation is in honor of the British Bodie McBoatface. It's uh, Sonny McCarface. Broadcasting live in Boone, North Carolina on 90.5 WASU-FM. You're driving and you think you start getting hungry and you're like, oh, I have a Dunkin' Donuts app on my car. Why not I just buy 12 donuts? Around the world on iHeartRadio and WASURadio.com. It's astonishing what you've done. You managed to have a three-car pileup on a road with a speed limit of 25 miles per hour. Right in front of the police station, too. So, uh, congratulations. This is Loopy Radio. This is Loopy Radio. This is Loopy Radio. I'm Loopy. September 5th, 2018, and uh, the show is absolutely loaded today, and by absolutely loaded, I mean this is the fewest notes by far I have ever had uh, in preparation for a show, Uh, which means uh, just news to everyone in the world, Um, there there are, this is the fewest uh, loopy radio worthy stories ever produced in one week. I really, I, I, I struggled to find things that I was willing to talk about. You know, there, there are plenty of things I can talk about, but uh, given uh, who owns this station and uh, who the audience uh, most likely is, uh, there, there are far fewer things I can talk about uh, on this radio program. That sounds weird talking about this as a radio program, but it is whatever. Uh, if if you are one of the DJs we have here, we have about 70 DJs here at WASU. I just learned that uh, tonight at our station meeting, the first one of the year. Uh, if you are a DJ that um, has just started with us here at WASU, I'd like to thank you for being a part of this station. Um, we have my show. We have the Mackie Move on Mondays. We have Sports Wrap on Tuesday and Thursday. We have the Morning Show Monday, Wednesday, Friday. But other than that... Uh, we are a 24-7 music station, and a lot of those 24-7 times are uh, filled with actual DJs who are college students, and uh, we're consistently top three best college radio station in the country, so I, if you are a DJ here and you feel like you're, you know, you're just starting, you really don't know what you're doing, you're with an excellent program that is run and maintained by excellent people, and we also just happen to be student-run. So, you know, there you go. Uh, the um, the first big story of the night, uh, which I find to be interesting because I took an astronomy class. If you've listened to this show weekly, you've probably heard me say that phrase quite a few times. I took an astronomy class. There's another one. Uh, and this really resonates with me, and it could uh, definitely affect us uh, in the near future. We'll have to see. But uh, the the sun has things called sunspots on it. And uh, what they are are actually these spots are colder areas on the sun due to how the energy just kind of moves around. It's just part of the deal. And so when there are sunspots, naturally the sun is colder than it could be 
if there were no sunspots. And apparently, for the majority of 2018, there have been no sunspots. And uh, it's been remarkably low. There, there obviously are days where there are no sunspots. But uh, And this is something that's being monitored 24-7. There are telescopes looking at the sun all the time. And they're there just to measure sunspots. And there have been times, many times this year, uh, where there have been no sunspots. Uh, this thing from Express UK. Scientists are reporting that the sun has been free of sunspots for a total so far of this year of 133 days. And by the time this article was written on the 2nd, so three days ago, there had been only 241 days of 2018. 133 of those days had no sunspots, which means the sun has been more active and warmer and causing what they say are pink, more pink auroras due to stuff in our atmosphere from coming from the sun. And just like how sunspots are energy cycling within the sun, or I guess the outside of the sun, uh, the sun also has just cycles in general. And uh, suns, a, a lack of sunspots indicates that we might be coming toward a period where there are a ton of sunspots. And uh, that can cause some serious, serious things to happen. I'll get more in depth into this because we got to go to break here in just a second. But this is something that uh, may challenge it, it. I'm not saying global warming exists or it doesn't exist or I believe in it or I don't believe in it or whatever. But we might be about to get a lot colder for a while. And I'm not, I'm not talking about like a, a little bit chillier. And I'm not saying that this is something that's ridiculous that has never happened before because it's actually on record that there have been a period of no sunspots and then it gets a lot colder for a long time. I'm Loopy. Having the sound up way too high. I'm loopy. Woo. I gotta say, I'm sorry there, uh, real quick. I uh, I cut the back to the '80s promo short. That's uh, my friend Lexi Hargisheimer. That's her show. She's done it twice now, and she's done very well. And uh, I'm sorry, I I cut your promo short there. We're talking about sunspots. I can uh, jump a little more in depth here, but if you if you have major short-term memory issues, or if you really weren't paying attention, which is likely, and uh, or if you just tuned in, then uh, thank you for being here. But uh, we are looking at possibly a very interesting situation with 
the sun. It's not going to blow up. We're fine. Even if this uh, situation that's being tossed around actually happens, we're probably going to be just fine. Uh, Nothing to freak out about. I'm not here to be fear-mongering. But the sun uh, has things called sunspots, and they're places that actually are producing less energy output. And it's all because of how the energy cycles within the sun. It's very complicated, and uh, you know I had to take a class for it to understand it. Uh, but uh, according to this article by Sean Martin on Express UK, um, this cycle is about an 11-year cycle. And we had a... Um, a dip in sunspot appearance uh, like this back in 2009. And it's this, from what I remember from the class, this 11-year cycle is pretty set. um, It's every 11 years. And we're a solid two years early with having this major dip in sunspots. They call this a solar, well, a, a solar maximum is where you have no sunspots. That's what we're in right now, a solar maximum, maximum output because of a minimum of sunspots. So uh, when we have a solar maximum for a long time, uh, the article says the sun gives off more heat. And, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm just completely screwed that up. So during it says during a solar maximum, the sun gives off more heat and is littered with sunspots. Okay, because there's more activity. So when there are a ton of sunspots, it's a solar maximum. It's pushing out a bunch of stuff. We are currently in what's called a solar minimum because we have a minimum of sunspots. There we go. That's how I memorized it for the test. A solar minimum happens when there are a minimum amount of sunspots, which means there is a low amount of activity uh, on the edge of the sun. And uh, what this can trigger off for us is a pretty uh, interesting situation. The article says the last time there was a prolonged solar minimum, it led to a, quote, mini ice age. Scientifically known as the Maunder Minimum, which lasted for 70 years. The Maunder Minimum, which saw seven decades of freezing weather, began in 1645 and lasted through 1715 and happened when sunspots were exceedingly rare. And they were measuring sunspots back then. And we have data that goes all the way back till then. And it's very possible that this sort of a thing uh, could be starting again. All we, I mean, we can't do anything about it, obviously. All we can do is just monitor this thing. But uh, you're talking about a mini ice age. It gets cold. You know, like our last uh, winter up here in Boone was pretty, pretty uh, bad. When I was a freshman, the year before that, there like wasn't a winter. It like never snowed, and if it did, it was when we were already off of school to begin with, so we never benefited from it in that way. But uh, last year was pretty was pretty bad. It was really cold. I enjoyed it. I love the cold, but it was. uh, There were quite a few days when I I could not go and drive my car. It just wasn't safe, and uh, my old Mercedes probably wouldn't like it very much. It would probably help it to start, uh, con- well, not start, continue rusting as well. But we're talking about um, 
a pretty substantial thing here in this mini ice age. It's saying during this period, back in the 1645 to 1715, temperatures dropped globally by 1.3 degrees Celsius, leading to shorter seasons and ultimately food shortages. Now, I'm not fear-mongering, all right? It's, we have figured out much better ways to farm since uh, 1645. Believe me, you don't need to take a history class to know that. But uh, 1.3 degrees Celsius globally uh, is fairly, fairly significant. And that's all just due to the sun doing whatever it wants to do. Now, if you're uh, if you are concerned about the sun possibly being on track to it explode, it's not. That makes absolutely no sense. The sun is just fine. This is a cycle that it does. And actually, interestingly, uh, as we go out here yet again, the type of sun we have is a sun that doesn't just blow up. I learned this in that class as well. Those are really rare. Betelgeuse is one of those uh, stars that will blow up, and that's another thing we got to look out for, because it can happen in any day. Our sun will expand and actually engulf the Earth, but that's going to happen in like 50 billion years. I'm looping. I'm Loopy. So, I just left off and I mentioned Beetlejuice. Now, that's not some weird, like, concoction some, like, preschooler made at recess. We're talking about a star. Beetlejuice. It's probably some old Greek figure of some sort. When they invented English, they were like, <laughs> we'll make a joke out of this one. Beetlejuice. But uh, it's one of the more visible stars uh, you can see in the night sky, and it's a classic one for people with telescopes to go look at. It's very red, and that's because it is very cold for a star. Red stars are colder, blue stars are hotter. Our star is yellowish and technically slightly greenish. But we see green stars as white. So our star is doing just fine. Betelgeuse is red. And as you can imagine, a cold star is a star that's at the end of its life. Now, when our star becomes red, uh, that's because it will have already engulfed the Earth and it will be super big. And then eventually it will just kind of push all of its stuff away. And you're left with a tiny little star in the middle that just kind of burns out. But uh, Betelgeuse is a super mega giant ultra big star. It's very, very, very big. It's one of those things where if you watch a video on YouTube, it shows like a pencil and then a pencil compared to a city and then a city compared to the planet Earth, Earth compared to the solar system and compared to the sun and whatever. And then they show bigger types of stars. Yeah, Betelgeuse is like one of the biggest types. Which means when it dies, it does what's called a supernova. And that is the brightest, most powerful uh, thing in the universe that we know of. And um, 
supernovas happen fairly regularly in galaxies. And uh, there have been several supernovas that have been recorded through the centuries. Um, And now we're starting to see data from other galaxies and ours comparing them and noticing that our galaxy is is behind statistically uh, in our supernova count. We uh, it's about time we had one. And Betelgeuse is the contender for that. It's um, we're several hundred years overdue for a supernova. And these things happen fairly regularly. It's not like some super rare thing where it's going to say, oh, we're several hundred years uh, overdue. No, it's like we are like legitimately overdue for this. And what I find to be super crazy interesting about this is that even though you obviously can't see it in the day, if you see Betelgeuse the star at night, it, um, you know, you probably need a telescope to see it well. And uh, it's not very bright at all. Partially because it's red. If it was blue, it would probably be brighter. But um, when this thing supernovas, from what I've been told in class, if I remember this correctly, it will be the brightest thing in the sky for us. That includes our sun being something in the sky. So if Betelgeuse is within the sky that you are looking at, whether it's day or night for us, technically, if Betelgeuse, when it's supernovas, is in the sky, it will be brighter than the sun. So who knows? That'll be super interesting. And Betelgeuse is a star that's in our sky very often. So we will be directly impacted. But the real thing that people really don't know about is uh, will this eventually affect any technology or whatever that we've created? Because the last time a supernova happened was like hundreds of years ago. So they didn't like, you know, there's nothing to worry about with that. But would this have like an EMP effect? Would it like cut out the grid somehow? Will it mess up stuff? Will you have to buy new kitchen appliances after this happens? We'll find out. Anyway. Uh, yeah, we'll be back here in a second with a little bit more. Uh, I have successfully on a day when I have very few notes, I have gone through an entire half hour on the exact same news story. I am getting ready to be a pro, gosh darn it. And if you're a pro, you can, you know, say you have a four-hour show, you can basically repeat the first and second hour on the third and fourth hour. Not like anyone I know has ever done that. I'm looping. I'm loopy. There has been a massive lack in loopy radio worthy local news. But uh, the the one serious thing, and it's not just a local thing, but it it definitely happened here as well. The Boone Sears has closed for good. No more Sears. Not here. And pretty soon, no more Sears anywhere. 
Hobby Lobby, the uh, next big store we have slated to come to Boone, is um, looking like it's going to be open in 2019, so next year. Who knows, maybe that's half a year from now or a whole year from now. We're getting a Hobby Lobby. I love walking through that store. That's that's the thing where if you're just hanging out with a group of friends and you're just like, I have no idea what to do. And it's rainy outside and it's, you know, in the middle of the afternoon. We've played enough Mario Kart. We don't know what to do. Something you can definitely do is get your butt over to Hobby Lobby and just walk the aisles. It is a very entertaining store to walk through. You never know what the heck is going to be there. And uh, it also makes you feel like you can be an artist if you really want to. Even though people like me can't. You may like art. You can't necessarily make it. At least visual art for me. Um, something big, though. Something uh, I, I feel like not too many App State students know about. And I'm still slightly confused about. Is a huge, massive plan to build new uh, living spaces up by the football stadium. We're talking big. This is going to increase the student housing much, much many. And my favorite part of this whole thing, this was published on the Watauga Democrat on August 24th. So a little while ago, you can uh, go on there and find it and read it for yourself. There's a lot of info and I'm going to spare you from, from saying all this. My favorite part, though, is a parking deck. That's right. We're getting a third parking deck. Woo! And it's not in an ugly place either. You won't really be able to see it. Unless you live in one of these new places that's right next to it. But man, if you get a spot at this parking deck and you live in a dorm right next to it, man, that is like the greatest dorm experience ever. And uh, if you complain about dorms, you know, if you're still a senior and you're living in dorms because you have to, yeah, that's worthy of complaining of. But what I love about App State is that uh, even though some people may see this as a significant problem and possibly the reason why they didn't go to App State, but you're required basically to live on campus freshman year. And then after that, you have the option, you have to try kind of hard, but to stay on campus in dorms for sophomore, junior, or maybe even senior year. But 99% of the time, it is like highly encouraged because they kind of have to, uh, that you move off campus. And I like that because it um, it allows you to get the experience of living on your own-ish, or possibly if you're like me now, on your own, uh, in an actual apartment, whether it's student housing technically, or um, just like a house that you rent. A lot of companies here like Winkler... They um, try to only lease to students, even though technically it's not student housing. Um, that's who I'm with. But you can also just rent a house. And the experience with that, especially if you do rent a house with like seven other people, you know, you got to maintain it. Or if you're in a frat, you don't maintain it. Uh, that's going to get me in trouble. But you're... You're basically forced to move out, and that kind of helps you get ready to live on your own, which is a serious thing to get adjusted to. But also the fact that they – I think still at this point they require you to live on campus freshman year gives you the experience of actually living in a dorm. Even though you may hate it, 
even though, you know, sometimes it feels like you're in a jail cell or you're sick of really needing to wear shoes in the shower, whether those are shower shoes or flip-flops or whether you're a weirdo and you wear, like, leather shoes in the shower, that just wouldn't work. You know? Yeah, It's not necessarily the most joyous experience, but I think it's a very good one to have. And if you are sitting in a dorm right now and you were just crying fountains out of your eyes and you just happen to turn on 90.5 WASU-FM and uh, heard this show, it's God's timing. You are not alone. All the other freshmen are with you. And I've experienced it as well. Your parents probably experienced it if they went to college. And everyone else that goes to college has has experienced it as well. And I think it's something good. To, I think it's it's part of college. It's something that should be required. It's part of what makes you a college student. And um, as this as App State uh, continues to expand uh, in allowing more students to come in, they do need to expand on campus housing. And this is part of the plan. So I'm a target Democrat. Uh, it's called the. Uh, it's titled "Construction Begins in App State's quote Village at the Rock." So, as you can probably tell, it is a village of housing, not like the villages. It is App State student housing, a village at the Rock. It has a parking garage. It's got lots of dorm space, and um, from what I understand, most of this is not going to be done till after I'm gone. Not like I was looking for student housing anyway. I love my apartment. Living in a dorm is something that I think should be necessary. um, But most people are going to be glad when they get out. It's liberating. And I'm loopy. I'm Luffy. So, um, there is actually some intriguing news. I kind of touched on the, uh, the, uh, road work that's going on on 321 in Boone right now. Last week. And so I went online and I found a, an article on greater road projects for the area. And uh, it, there's actually a very good article on it right now. It's pretty darn timely. It's as if the Watauga Democrat was listening to Loopy Radio and decided to go for it. Um, it's interesting. So this is a draft plan with the uh, state government for different state roads in the area. And if you live up here, you know. um, The roads here, uh, quite a few need some work. Either the quality of them is not what they should be, or we are now too populous for the size of the roads. And, you know, something needs to be done. Down in Charlotte, where I'm from, a lot of what goes on up here road-wise would be unacceptable. But it makes sense because Charlotte has many more people than we have here. So much more of the budget 
should go there. Makes sense. But it looks like um, something fairly substantial is going to happen here from the Watauga Democrat. This is what it says. One of the paragraphs says a third uh, Watauga County proposal was selected in the regional impact category. Uh, the, the widening of U.S. 421 from the Villas Junction with U.S. 321 to the Tennessee state line was allocated $12.5 million of the $100.6 million estimated to fund the project by the state. A right-of-way draft is scheduled for 2029 with construction to start after 2029. Yeah, that's a long ways from now. But uh, it looks like this could very well happen. Again, it's the widening of US 421 from the Villas Junction with US 321 to the Tennessee state line. That's, uh, yeah, widening. So obviously, I bet when you widen it, you also repave it. Kind of makes sense because you're going to screw it up somehow. You know, if you're working with uh, stuff like that, roads, it's going to crack when you're working with heavy machinery right by it. But hey, that's nice. It does also say some things that did not, uh, this is what it says, did not score high enough for statewide or regional funding. And that is a uh, proposed Daniel Boone bypass for U.S. 421 traffic, a $2 million section of the Middle Fork Greenway from Niley Cook Road to Jordan Cook Road. These have all been denied. A $52 million widening of the NC-105 bypass. Denied was the $29.5 million widening of NC-194 from East King Street to Howard's Creek Road. That has been denied. Also, the upgrading of the Deerfield Road and Bamboo Road intersection. That was a fairly cheap project compared to the rest of these. That was denied. As well as a widening of NC-105 from Fosco to Linville. And an upgrading of the US-421, old US-421, and 221 intersection east of Boone. All of those were denied. And uh, given that the one, one of these things that was accepted is being put out till 2029... Uh, gives me the feeling that these things that were up for renovation um, might not be touched for a while. Just saying. All right, well, I've gone through most of the show uh, without really touching on anything that I posted on Facebook saying that I would cover. Uh, I think I covered a little bit of it, so I'm sorry for that. Uh, if you do want more of this show, I will say this, a little plug for myself. I've given enough plugs to Lexi and Mackie for the day. There technically is another one for both of them. Um, I am on uh, Facebook. I post podcasts on there as well as other just random stuff. I haven't done too much, but uh, I'm looking to increase that. Uh, so what we're looking at is I will post yeah, podcasts, other thingies, you can see my picture if you're a weird creep and you want to see my picture. Um, that's Loopy Radio on WASU, L-U-P-I-E. I also have a website, loopyradio.com, where you can subscribe and get nice updates. 
We'll be right back. This is Loopy Radio. I'm Loopy. So every now and then I talk about something that's uh, really not applicable at all to uh, anyone my age. But I, I find it interesting. Actually, there are a lot of people I you. This is kind of applicable to because they are kind of interested in it. And, uh, it's cars, expensive cars, not your, uh, not your Toyota Corollas. So obviously, you've probably heard of Tesla by now. They're uh, they're kind of a deal. They're kind of a big deal, and uh, they've owned a section of the market for a few years now. Now, Tesla isn't a brand new company. They've been around. They're over 10 years old. Which, I mean, for a car company, that's actually pretty new. But it's not like this is their first car they've ever put out. Um, And now they really kind of have three that they're selling. But that section of the market, the, um, the electric sedan section of the market, is um, now under full assault by... Quite a few legitimate car companies, and you're going to see changes having to be made pretty soon here. You're going to have to see Tesla fight for what they've got. And um, given how well their production has gone so far, and um, the quality of stuff for the price that's coming up against them, I'm just going to go out on a whim and say Tesla might not be around for much longer. So I'm a big Mercedes guy. Obviously, Mercedes is part of this. So Mercedes-Benz is is uh, unveiling its uh, electric SUV, all-electric, as well as BMW, Audi, and Porsche. They're all they're all gunning for the exact same type of car. You're you're looking at same functionality, basically, same general size. They're all all electric, and uh, they'll all be around the same price. And you're going from a Tesla quality to a Mercedes quality for the same price, or a Porsche quality, or an Audi. You're, um, I think that's a pretty substantial upgrade. And the reason why these companies, uh, these big German companies, haven't made this stuff. Uh, up to date is because it takes a long time to develop this stuff. It's not like, oh, Tesla exists. Let's put out a new car next week. No, it it doesn't. It just doesn't work that way. So they finally got to the point where they're ready to sell this stuff. And I think that's a big step. That's a big step. I'm not going to say if it's the right or wrong direction for any of these companies. I will say that um, the way the electric car works right now, using really lithium-ion batteries, the exact same stuff you have in your phone or laptop, um, that's not going to work. That's not going to stick around. What's eventually going to happen is you're going to get hydrogen-powered cars. They already do exist. The hard part is isolating hydrogen to put into cars. It um, isn't very eco-friendly right now, which is kind of the whole point of all this. Whoever figures out how to isolate hydrogen efficiently will be, hands down, the most wealthy person to ever live. 
because a, a hydrogen-powered car, which basically is an electric car, but instead of batteries, has hydrogen fuel cells in it, still runs off electric motors, just like these cars. A, a hydrogen-powered car can power a neighborhood. That's how powerful this stuff is. Instead of charging your car at your house, you could charge your house at your car. So, like, once a week or whatever, you go out to the hydrogen station to fill up your car. You drive your car around for the week, and you can also plug your house into it to keep it powered. So not only are you are you making your car uh, powered by something else, you're also powering your house with something else, which eliminates the need for the traditional power plant. Probably wouldn't eliminate it. It would change the need. It would drastically reduce the need for a traditional power plant. Because the, the, the time that you're not at your house, something needs to be powering your house when your car's gone. So maybe, you know, with this lower amount of electricity needed from power plants, you could actually power a city using alternative sources like wind or solar power. Maybe in that case it would actually work. It clearly does not right now. If you if you drive anywhere uh, along an interstate, you will see power plants every few hours, big ones. And they are not ones that run off of uh, fluffy, kind substances. This hour has simply flown by. Thanks for being here. This is Loopy Radio. That is my little um, rant on electricity. And uh, I hope you enjoyed it. I will be back next week. Every Wednesday at 9 p.m. on WASU. I'm Loopy, and I'm out.